Good morning. I want to invite you this morning, if you have your Bibles, to open to the book of Jonah. As we talk about short-term missionaries, uh, this is just the book that came to mind uh, as I, I think about this story. So open there. We'll come back to it in a little bit. But we've started this series last week, Just Go, as a challenge for us, not just to give financially, uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks towards missions, but also to remind us that all of us are called as missionaries in the world. Whether that looks like some local efforts, like Mission Collin County, maybe reminding us that our jobs, our vocations, we're missionaries in all that we do. Short-term mission trips are important as well, and opportunities for us to bless others, and, and God changes us through that encounter as well. And then supporting foreign missionaries, and maybe one of us, maybe several of us, will choose to be foreign missionaries because of the call of God through this series. But we're just challenging you, whatever your next step is, to just be challenged to, to, to open up your hearts, your ears, to let God challenge you, and then take that next step to just go. Uh, so we're going to talk more about this. But I want to remind you about last week. We talked about how God loves cities, that there's more uh, image of God per square inch in cities than in any other place in the world because we are people who are created in the image of God. So God loves Dallas. And I want to know, how many of you this week prayed that prayer we talked about last week? God, open my eyes to see the city as you see it, to love these people as you love it. How many of you have been praying that prayer this week as you've been driving through the, hopefully a few of you, it's okay to raise your hands. We want God to open our eyes to see this city as he does and and, and be participants with him in his mission. Let's pray together though as we look at short-term missions and how we might do that this coming week. God, we, we thank you so much for this story about Jonah. And God, we want to hear this story not just as a story about Nineveh and, and pagan people, God, but be reminded this is a story that's mostly written to religious people, people who are already followers of yours. Even a prophet named Jonah had a message that was needed for him as well. So God, this morning as we open this text, may you help these words come alive again. And I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and in our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. As we focus on short-term missions today, I told you that my mind went to Jonah. And I believe that Jonah is the worst short-term missionary of all time. And by the end of the day, I hope you agree with me about that. And maybe or challenge yourself to think about how God might be calling you. Now, some stories that we go to when we think about books that we read, it takes a while to kind of get into those stories and find the conflict. In fact, I know there's books that probably are sitting on your shelf that you never finished because it never got to the action. But Jonah is not one of those books. In fact, in the first three verses of Jonah, the conflict already arises. So I want to read beginning in Jonah 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And follow along verse 3 in your Bibles. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, I want to show on a map a little bit of what's going on here because these terms probably don't mean much to you. So Jonah lives around the area of Joppa, right, in Israel, that area. And God's calling him to go to Nineveh, the people who are enemies of Israel, and to pronounce a message of doom on these people. Now, some of you would see this as an exciting task, right? You have enemies, and you'd be glad to be God's prophet in that way. But Jonah doesn't feel that way. So Jonah gets on board a ship at Joppa and decides he's going to sail for Tarshish. And you can see that's not exactly in the direction of Nineveh. 
I mean, we're talking Spain, probably some good beach areas in the area, but not exactly where God is calling him. Now, my question is, Jonah's a prophet of God. So why is this prophet of God not listening to the call of God and actually going the opposite direction on his own way? And when you're thinking about this story, again, the Ninevites are enemies of Israel. Maybe you think, you know, maybe he's afraid. Maybe he's scared. After all, these are a violent people. They're enemies of Jonah and his people. So maybe he's afraid that his life would be taken. It's hard to be a messenger of God's doom. But as we begin to open up the story in this book, we realize that maybe there's more to the story than just fear. But I think fear is a part of it as well. In fact, if you have your Bibles open to Jonah, flip forward just two books to the book that's probably well-worn in your Bible, the book of Nahum, okay? Nahum is a book that's written about the people of Nineveh as well. It's written after the story of Jonah. But it's another prophecy that God gives. And in that book of Nahum, in chapter 3, we read about this city. We read about the people of Nineveh. And this may help you understand who these people are a little better. Again, Nahum 3, verse 1. Woe to the city full of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. Now that is a vivid scripture, is it not? Gives you a sense of how much violence these people are a part of. Gives you a sense of the injustice, the slavery, the chains, the whips. This is a brutal people. And the people of God are enemies of this brutal people. So there must be fear that's associated in some way with bringing this message. And then we see that it's not just God who doesn't like these people. It's other nations that don't like these people. It's the last verse in Nahum. Nahum 3, verse 19. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? I mean, people are ready to cheer over the demise of Nineveh. Because this is an evil and brutal people. And so, yes, I can imagine fear would be a part of this story, that maybe Jonah is afraid. What would happen, after all, if he went to announce this message of doom to this brutal people? He might not get out alive. But later in the story, we find out there's much more to this than just fear of bodily harm that might come his way. So he goes on the run from God. You saw the map. He runs towards Tarshish. He's on the way away from where God had sent him to. And then, if you know the story, you if anything, a fish in the story, right? Well, fish shows up and swallows Jonah, and three days later, he's back on dry land, but he's learned a lesson in the midst of this. And the, the clear takeaway for all of us is don't run away from God, because he's got an animal that's big enough to swallow you and take you where he wants you. I mean, just be careful when you run away from God's will. But, but God does this. He's going to get us back on track, however we need to. He'll help us learn if it's the hard way or the easy way where he wants us to go. And after he returns to dry land, he decides to follow God's command a second time. He goes to the people of Nineveh. So Jonah preaches a sermon to these people. And in the English, this sermon is only eight words. In the Hebrew, it's less than that. It's five words. And this is the message that he sends. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So Jonah comes with bearing this five-word sermon. 
40 more days, and, and, and Nineveh will be overturned. And he, he says this walking through the city, and, 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 and what do you expect to, that would be the response to something like this? Well, it's interesting, the response. Because if you read the verses that follows, it's not what Jonah would have expected. Jonah 3, let's start reading in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. That's astounding, isn't it? This response of these people. Here is Jonah pronouncing his doom. And where does the real sermon come in? The real sermon comes from the king. Who knows? Maybe this God would be gracious enough that he might relent if we would ask forgiveness. Maybe we need to have leaders who are doing the same in our world, right? Announcing our repentance and our confession for the sins that we are complicit in. Trying to say, no, God, we're not good enough. Would you please forgive us? Maybe God would relent. Maybe that's the place we need to come from. But Jonah isn't exactly happy about this. Now, i got to tell you, I think Jonah's a pretty lousy preacher. I mean, think about this. He, he preaches five Hebrew words, and it's not that great a sermon. If I'm, to, I'm not the best preacher in the world, but there's no illustrations. There's no stories. There's no call to action. It's just, you're all going to die in 40 days. Just wanted to let you know. Now, the good part about the sermon is it's short, and they can get out to lunch that Sunday in no time, which some of you might appreciate too. But it's not a great sermon. Now, this is a lesson, I think, to some of us who struggle with evangelism, sharing a word of faith to others. Some of us think we've got to be experts when it comes to faith, or we need to be very well-spoken to share the good news of Jesus. And I think this story reminds us, you don't even have to like the people you're talking to. You don't have to have a well-developed sermon. You don't have to have all the questions for people's uh, answers for their questions they're going to present. Just speak the word when you have a chance. And we've got to remind ourselves, it's not us who brings the growth, it's God who brings the growth. We just got to be faithful in sharing the word, spreading seed, being faithful stewards and witnesses of who God is. He's the one who does the work. It's, no one says to this, Jonah's the one who did it through his sermon. If anybody, the king's the one, this evil pagan king's the one who brings them to faith. But I think it's an encouragement to us that struggle to share our faith to know that. Well, Jonah, it's interesting as the story goes on, because he's a pretty successful, lousy missionary, right? He doesn't like these people. He preaches this one word. Here's the response that he gets. So you'd expect Jonah would be proud of what's happened. But look what happens in Jonah 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Now, if I'm Jonah and I'm a prophet of God, a missionary, that's not exactly what I would be thinking. I'd be thinking, look what I did. Five words and all these people are turning around. They must have heard my message. Jonah's not happy about it. He's angry about it. And look at the response of what happens in verse 2 and following. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. 
I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Let me ask you the same question this morning. I don't know what your anger is right now. Maybe it's about past resentments and relationships, or perhaps it's, it's about a forgiveness that you can't quite forgive, and you certainly don't want God to come in and forgive it. But I think God wants to sound that same call in us today. Is it right for you to be angry in this situation? Is that anger actually doing you any good? Or, or you think you're holding someone else hostage by what's actually holding you in hostage by the anger that you hold? See, Jonah gets this response, and it's pretty astounding if you think about it. And, and here's why Jonah, this is the turning point in the book. This is why Jonah wouldn't go to Nineveh the first time. It's not that he was scared for his life. What does the text say? He was afraid that God would be forgiving. He knew God's character so well that God had been merciful with him. And if God had been merciful with him, the problem is he's going to be merciful with others. And isn't this a hard part of faith? Maybe an offense of the gospel? Is this one thing to be forgiving of people and and believe in forgiveness when it happens to you or as a general principle? But think about the people who have harmed you most in life. Forgiveness is hard when it comes to the specifics, isn't it? And there are times I wish God was less merciful. It's never when it's my own sin I'm concerned with. It's always when it's the sin of others that have been caused harm to me, to my family, to my own. I don't want God to be forgiving there. And Jonah knows God well enough to know God can't stay angry for long. He just can't keep up with Jonah's amount of anger. I mean, he remembers from Exodus 34 the way that God had had talked about himself. God explains himself to to, to Moses in this way in in Exodus 34, verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. See, Jonah did not run from Nineveh. Because he was afraid he wouldn't come out alive. Jonah ran away from Nineveh because he didn't want the Ninevites to come out alive. Jonah is angry with God because God isn't angry with Nineveh. And I'm wondering if it comes to what we count on God for, if maybe part of the problem we can't count on God for is to be angry at the people we want him to be angry at. I think it's Anne Lamott who said, you know, if, if Jesus has all the same enemies who, uh, as you have, we might be talking about a different Jesus. Because we, we draw these lines in the sand and we talk about who God's enemies are, but, but God can't seem to hold up the same enemies that we have. He can't seem to be on our side. He seems to always be on the other end beckoning us to come back to forgiveness as well. And I believe God sent Jonah to help the Ninevites. That's part of the backstory of the book of Jonah. But part of the front story is God is using the people of Nineveh to change Jonah as much as the other way around. I mean, this is not a book that's written to pagans. This is a book that's written to us, the people of God. And sometimes we forget that. We look at Scripture and we think, well, God's mad at these people. Or this is where sin reigns. We need to call it out here. The truth is God in the book of Jonah is trying to call out sin in our own life. To look at our own house and say... is it right for you to be angry in the ways you're angry? Because I love these people. I'm willing to be forgiving, and you might not be ready to do it, but I'm always ready to receive back the prodigals who come home. And that's good news when it's us. But when we're the older brother, it's easier to stay outside the party. Have you ever attended an event or a conference before? 
Or, or maybe you've been on a mission trip where you thought you were going for one purpose and you were going to go and, and make a difference and then all of a sudden you come out on the other side of things and the difference was made in your life. Like you, you realized you were, the, you were the joke that God was trying to play the joke on. Not, you weren't the one going and being the blessing. This has happened in my life in several ways. Maybe you as well. Maybe these stories will connect with connections you can make. In my marriage, it's this way, right? I mean, we've been married for 10 years. It'll be 11 this summer. And I remember, you know, getting married. I remember being on stage saying our vows. And this is what I thought marriage was about, is that I can't wait to marry Holly because she's going to make me whole in a way that I'm not yet. There's a sense in which Genesis talks about that, how it's good for, uh, you know, not good for man to be alone. But, but here's the problem, is in our culture, we are taught that, that marriage is supposed to make us whole in a way we aren't before. Or, or some special friendship relationship. If we can have the right relationship, then we can be made whole. But that is too great a burden for any marriage to bear. Because when we ask that out of our marriage, out of two broken people, it's not going to get better. That multiplies the harm, right? When you have two broken people, it doesn't make a whole marriage. See, if you aren't whole in Jesus before you enter into that kind of relationship, that relationship's not going to make you more whole. It'll just multiply the brokenness in your life. See, marriage was never intended to, for Holly to make me whole. It was intended to make me holy. And that's a huge difference when you enter into marriage. I didn't know that walking in, but now I know. I'm in relationship with Holly in a way that she sees my bad side in ways many of you never will. I mean, she's there day in and day out. She knows that I'm not who I stand up and proclaim to be all the time. And all of you, don't look at me. You know this is true for you as well, right? I mean... This is not some big sin I'm trying to co- confess this morning. Like we, this is what marriage does is we live in close enough community with someone and we make a covenant that when we see the worst side of each other, we're going to stick with one another through it. You know, when we were dating, Holly saw a side of me that was like the best I could put on display. But it wasn't the best that God had designed for me in the end. And part of being in marriage and having a healthy marriage or is to come together and see the best in one another. And when we see the ugly side, it's to say, no, I, I see more in you, but, but, but I'm going to walk with you beside you, and I want you to do the same for me. I went into marriage thinking that it was going to make me whole, but the truth was, the joke was on me. It was to make me holy and being close enough to someone, they see the faults, and they walk beside me through it. Or when I had kids, I thought having kids was about this like romantic idea about, you know, we're... We're going to enjoy holidays, and we're going to have birthday parties, and we're going to be at the soccer field on Saturdays. It's going to be the coolest thing ever. And then we walk into it and realize, this is a whole lot harder than I thought. I thought that having kids was about making me whole in some way. That Maybe if the athletic events that I didn't excel in, at least my son will if I drive him hard, right? But what I'm beginning to realize is being a parent allows me an opportunity to see the selfishness that I displayed in my life before that. Forces me to be selfless in ways I didn't know I needed to be selfless before. It's helped my marriage because I realized that if I need to be this for my kids, then my wife needs the same thing. So I went into, you know, having kids thinking it was going to be about the birthday parties and Christmas, and I realized it also is about the months where we're sick all month long because the kids trade it back and forth to us and vice versa. It's about wanting to be done when I get home and sit in my chair and just be done with it, but realizing those are the most important three hours of my day is when I engage with my kids after I get home. Same thing's true in ministry for me. I got into ministry thinking I was going to change the world. 
Like God had called me to, to transform churches and to help people and to, to reach the lost. And so I was going to come and do it. I was going to take the world by storm. And you know what I learned through that? That's how you destroy a church. Thinking that your vision is something that you use people in the church to be tools to accomplish your vision. It's God's vision, of course, but that's not what this is about. See, I got into ministry thinking I was going to change everything, not realizing that God was putting me into his ministry so that churches could change me. And then by being shifted and changed through that, that I might be a better minister, a better neighbor, a better friend, a better... See, m- many of you are much more holy than I will ever be. Many of you, I see examples already in six months of people who are better disciples than I am. And that's what the church is about, not hiring someone who's going to fix everything. No, no, no. You've hired a broken person. We're all broken people. The question is, are we going to see ourselves as the savior of everyone else? Are we going to have a Messiah complex about things? Or are we going to admit that God often wants to change us through the very activities we think we're going to change everyone else? And I think that's what short-term missions is all about. Now, we've done short-term missions wrong in many ways. We've colonialized people. We've tried to turn them into us. We've done mission work to make it look just like us in places it should never look like us. This is the value of Christianity, right? Is it can be translated into different cultures and different ways and look different than we do it. And we learn from those encounters to see our culture in different ways. Some of us go on these short-term mission trips and we think, man, we are going to change the world when we go do this. And what do we find when we come back? The same stories you heard a little bit ago. I was changed by the encounter. I now have eyes to see what I have. I'm aware and content in ways I wasn't before. Now I see my neighbors and realize this is a mission field that I have to reach people in the same way I did overseas. How do I do that here? It changes everything about now and us and here and family and vocation and our life together as a church. Amen? So I'm begging you to go on a short-term mission trip. And and I I hope you'll have these illusions that you can change the world through it. Continue to hold on to those. I don't want to kill those. But I just want you to be open to the fact that while you're trying to change the world, God might just need to change you just like he changed Jonah. It's easy to look at the book of Jonah and see the Ninevites and think, you know, if our culture would just get the message Jonah gave to them, then everything would be a lot better. If, 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 if our leadership would step up and put on sackcloth and ashes, the nation would be in a better place and the world would be better for it. But the book of Jonah is not about that. The book of Jonah is about Jonah needing to be changed. And when Jonah gets changed, all of a sudden, a lot of things become possible that aren't before. So to those of you who might be Jonah's out there, Feel a calling maybe today. Maybe it's locally. Maybe it's in Mission Collin County this week. Maybe it's a short-term mission trip, or maybe one of you is going to go be a missionary. I pray God will use those opportunities to change and shape other people. But we don't bring Jesus into the world pretending he's not in those places already. What we often find when we go out into the world is that he's already been working. That those in poverty know God much more than we do because we haven't needed to know him like they do. And all of a sudden, we're transformed to see the world in new ways, and they change us. Because there is no them, is there? There's only us. People created in the image of God that he wants to restore. And it starts right here. Let's pray together as we close our time. Father, I thank you so much for this story about Jonah. God, I realize this is a story about a fish, but it's so much bigger than that, isn't it? 
And I thank you for ways that we see the gospel. As kids, we learn about you saving us and calling us. But God, as we grow up, we realize these stories are about so much more. So God, I thank you for the trips that have changed us in the past. And I pray for more opportunities like that. But God, help us not just go on trips to do this. Help us realize this can happen just across the street from us. It can happen in downtown Dallas at places like City Square where our lives are, are transformed to see a new way of life. And all of a sudden we walk back into our suburban context to know that there's still poverty in our own context we forget about. God, we pray for the Becks. We pray for the Vances. We pray for those in Belize and Panama and other places we'll visit. God, we want to be a blessing. But God, would you shape us and change us and cause us to repent? We love you, God, and we thank you so much for these opportunities and the people around us that change us. I thank you for this church that's doing this faith journey more and better than I can. God, help us do this together. Pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Be standing now for our benediction. May God bless you this week as you enter back into the world, as you leave these doors, not to realize that worship doesn't happen in here. It happens all the time out there. And this God wants to do amazing things through you, and I pray he will this week, that you'll have encounters, and you'll be able to speak a good word. You'll go on mission trips. But my greatest prayer for you is that your eyes would be open to see that the change needs to happen in us as much as where it needs to happen in others. So may you be changed as you seek to change others. And may God be faithful, just as he always has been to us. Amen? May we love God. May we love people. May we serve others. Go in peace.